Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Are you tired of advertisements? You can listen to this episode and more ad-free for only $1 a month by supporting the show on Patreon. Visit monstersamonguspodcast.com and hit the Patreon tab. For more details. pleasure it is to have you back with us here this evening, and I've put together an exceptionally creepy program for you tonight. If you're a fan of ghostly activity, you're especially going to enjoy this evening's offering. But if you're a fan of strange creatures, odd objects in the sky, or psychic visions, you're also going to have a good time tonight, because this episode is a little bit of everything. So let's get this thing rolling, shall we? Beginning with Dawn's entry, out of the land of Lincoln. Hey Derek, Don H here from Illinois. I want to start this off by saying I never was a believer in paranormal stuff until some of these strange things started happening back in my early 20s. I'm 37 now. So I live in a bigger city now where out in Rockford. However, most of these stories take place out in rural Illinois, but more specifically, Lena, Stockton, and McConnell. So, like I was saying, everything out there is rural. And uh, I had a couple of favorite fishing spots that I would like to go to. And one of them was owned by a friend's relative. And to get out there, you had to go down about four or five miles on gravel road. And then once you got to this cabin that they had in the woods, you had to travel down another gravel road to get back to the cabin. I liked fishing here because nobody had access to it, which meant the fishing was good. But I always felt like something was watching me there. I would take my dog. I had a big old pit bull and he was smart. He loved to swim and was very tentative to things going on around us. One day I had him out in the boat with me on this little pond. And this pond isn't very big. It's like maybe 150 yards by 
I don't know, 50 yards wide. And I, I was just out there tooling around on a little boat, 6.37 in the evening, not quite dark, but starting to get dark enough to make it extra creepy. And all of a sudden, I hear a really loud howl coming out of the woods. And it wasn't like a dog howl or, say, a cat that got, was getting injured or something like that. It was something that I was completely unfamiliar with. There was a walnut trees and oak trees and all that about 75 to 80 yards off of the pond. And all of a sudden, I heard a ginormous flash. I mean, it sounded like a car got thrown into the water, right? And it scared the heck out of me. My dog spun around and looked at the water, and I thought, dude, there's no way this can be a fish in this little pond making that much noise. I know fish jump, but this was no fish. So then all of a sudden, you know, I started minding my own business and just thought, well, that was weird. All of a sudden, walnuts started getting thrown into the boat. And I could not see where these walnuts were coming from. My dog literally jumped out of the boat and started swimming towards shore. And when he hopped up on shore, he started barking. So I had a firearm in the boat with me, and I cracked off a couple shots. Once I cracked off a couple shots, something started smacking the trees like wood knocking. When I heard that and then I heard another howl, I hollered for my dog and we beat feet to get to my truck and we hightailed it out of there. I don't know what was out there. Like I said, it was a relatively clear night and we were really far away from people. We were 10 miles out of town, you know, and like I said, it was a rural camping area surrounded by uh, cornfields and woods. When I left there, I got to tell you, nothing scared me so bad in my life. That occurrence happened back in 2006. I never went back there again. Now let's fast forward about six months later. I was out for the evening with my girlfriend at the time. We've been together for a few years now. We went out gambling for the night, and we're not drinkies or druggers, so... We were out till about 1.30 in the morning, and it was a clear night in Stockton, Illinois. We pulled in late about 1.30, 2 in the morning, and we were sitting in the car in the driveway, and we had trees over the house, and most of the block also has trees. But we were sitting in the car talking about our experience at the casino, and all of a sudden, I could hear some humming like a really low fuzzy and I said to her I said Amanda do you hear that and she said yeah I do so we both get out of the car and we looked up and we're in the sky and I'm telling you if I had a, a rock I could have thrown this rock and hit this spacecraft there was a UFO about 50 feet not even 50 feet barely above the tree and it was so large and so long and so so low to the ground it it shook us we looked up and we couldn't see the ends of it we couldn't see the front couldn't see the sides couldn't see the rear but we could see an orange thruster you know which seemed to be what was making the noise so we started walking out and towards to the street 
to see if we could see the end of this thing. And we eventually were able to. And this thing was a massive triangle. I'm talking about four, five, six city blocks long at least. It moved so slow that you could walk next to it. And I looked at her and I said, Amanda, you know what that is? And she's like, I don't even want to say. I'm like, let's call the police. And she's like, they're not going to believe you. I'm like, what do you mean they're not going to believe? This is right freaking here, you know? So we hightail it into the house. And the next morning on the news, we see the spacecraft that was caught in between Missouri and Southern Illinois. All the Illinois State Police car cameras. We saw that that was the exact same ship that we saw. And we saw it way in the northern part of the state about four hours before they caught it on camera in Southern Illinois. Anyhow, that's my story. That's two of them. I've got several more. I love your show, and I can't wait to hear new content. Bye, have a good day, and I hope to hear this. Thank you, Don, for both of those stories. Now, typically, I would break these two calls up and share them on separate episodes. Months or even years apart. But I spy a correlation here. One I don't believe we've really explored on the show previously. But one that very much deserves further discussion. But first, I think we should start here. Illinois is sort of Bigfoot heavy. The state comes in as number five, according to the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization with 318 sightings. California only registered 461 in comparison. So the number of Illinois sightings is quite significant. And wouldn't you know, Illinois has itself one of those infamous Bigfoot legends, complete with perfect alliteration. The Murfreesboro Monster. And here's a little more backstory courtesy of Monsters and Mysteries in America. The town of Murfreesboro in southwest Illinois. Since the early 1970s, it's become an epicenter of encounters with a mysterious monster. A long-haired beast. Very big and very muddy. It's thought to be a variety of Bigfoot but one that seems to use the Big Muddy River as its primary means of migrating. After more than a dozen sightings all around Murfreesboro, it appeared as if the bizarre brute was turning the town upside down. Now, maybe you've never heard of the Murfreesboro monster, and that would be fair, because it's not exactly a well-known case, but I have a feeling that's all going to change once word gets out about their new festival and the new Murfreesboro Monster statue. Three, two, one! The big reveal for the big statue. Dozens were at the corner of Route 13 and 127 in Murfreesboro for the new landmark. The big muddy monster statue is bronze, stands 8 foot 8 inches, and it weighs nearly 800 pounds. You know, 50 years ago this week, Murfreesboro police investigated the first Muddy Monster sighting. A company out of Salt Lake City created the statue. They used the Murfreesboro police report's description to come up with the design. Well, someone copied Point Pleasant's homework. 
but frankly, I can't say that I blame them, because a town's gotta eat. And that is a proven recipe for success. But Murfreesboro did a pretty good job on the statue. Go to the show notes to take a look, or visit Murfreesboro for yourself. And if you do, be sure to send us a photo. And that clip, courtesy of WSIL, News 3, out of Carterville. Now I need to get back on track here. Well, we've established that Bigfoot is a big deal in the Prairie State. But what does that have to do with UFOs? Well, believe it or not, there are some researchers out there that suggest that Bigfoot or Sasquatch, whatever you want to call it, is actually an alien and not a forest-dwelling ape. They've come to this conclusion based on the correlation between UFOs and Bigfoot sightings. And I don't have exact numbers in front of me, but it's my understanding that there's a small percentage of encounters in which the witness sees both a UFO and a squatch, almost as if the creature emerged from the craft directly. Now this concept has gained traction thanks to shows like Ancient Aliens and Monsters and Mysteries in America. There's more to the Bigfoot phenomena than we understand. There seems to be a non-physical aspect of some of these phenomena we're dealing with. Could Bigfoot's origins be extraterrestrial in nature? Clues in the historical record may point to the possibility. Native American stories record the arrival of the crazy bears, huge hairy mammals who supposedly descended to Earth inside a small moon, which deposited them and then rose back into the sky. By the late 1960s, the outer space origins of Bigfoot was starting to receive serious discussion, spurred in part by an incident in 1966 at Presque Isle, Pennsylvania. That encounter became part of a federal investigation, Project Blue Book, kept under wraps for many years. Did he just say hairy manimal? Anyway, I know that you're curious about that 1966 Presque Isle, Pennsylvania case. Well, here's a little additional info to wet your whistle. On the evening of October 25, 1973, a young Pennsylvania farmer, Stephen Pulaski, and at least 15 other witnesses saw a bright object hovering over a field near them. Stephen grabbed his rifle and went to investigate. It was then that he noticed something walking along by the fence. They were hairy and long-armed, with greenish-yellow eyes, and a smell like burning rubber was present. Stephen sensed that these creatures were not friendly and fired a tracer bullet over their heads. And when they kept on coming, he fired directly at one of them. The creatures then all disappeared into the woods, and the glowing object disappeared from the field instantaneously. UFO researchers, as well as a state trooper, were called in to investigate. When they arrived, the people there told them that Stephen had been growling like an animal and flailing his arms. His own dog ran toward him, and Stephen attacked the dog. Stephen then collapsed, and after a time, began to come to his senses. The entire group commented on the nauseating, sulfur-like odor that was present. Now, unfortunately, we were unable to discern which documentary this snippet originated from, 
we were only able to obtain a clip via YouTube. So if you happen to know, please let us know so we can properly credit it. Now based on the description in this encounter, a pair of big feet emerged from this craft. Now that's of course the story of George Kowalczyk, or as he was once referred to as Stephen Pulaski. It's a wild case that, as was mentioned, was even investigated by Project Blue Book and is the perfect example of this Bigfoot is an alien theory. Well, you know how I feel about explaining one monster with another. It's a lot of fun, but it doesn't get us anywhere. And I think that's essentially what's happening here. But if you think about it, if Bigfoot was an alien, that certainly could explain why he's so damn hard to find. Thank you again, Don, for sharing those stories. Allowing us to explore this little known but out there concept. And if all this seems a little too far-fetched for you, I'll throw it out there that in addition to being a Bigfoot hotbed, Illinois is also very popular for UFO sightings. And some of the biggest group sightings this century have occurred within its borders. Let's talk about microdosing. You know that feeling when your mind and body are relaxed and peaceful like after a workout or a long hot shower. Well, microdose gummies can help you get into that chill zone. They help with anxiety, insomnia, pain, and they even help me tap into my creative flow when I'm feeling blocked. Microdose gummies deliver the perfect entry-level dose of THC that helps you feel just the right amount of good. Now to be clear, I'm not talking about getting stoned like those fellas on TV. I'm talking about the sweet spot between CBD and THC that gives you the benefits of both. My favorite time to take them is at the end of a long day when I'm ready to wind down and chill out for the night. They help me get ready for bed and calm my mind so I can fall asleep more easily and keep those sleep paralysis demons away. So what are you waiting for? Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com with promo code Monsters Among Us. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code Monsters Among Us for 30% off and free shipping. microdose.com, promo code Monsters Among Us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So, thank you for listening. Now, back to those voices emanating from your crawl space. Now for this next entry, we work our way north. Manitoba, to be specific. Jeremy from Canada. Welcome to the program. Hi, Derek. This is Jeremy calling from Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm calling with the story of my haunted band practice. I use the term very lightly because I don't think three guys playing the first four bars of Run to the Hills over and over again is really a band, but that's besides the point. So this happened at the house that I grew up in, my parents' house. I still live there. And just a brief history of the house is built in 1911. It was briefly used as a boarding house for single women. I like to say criminally insane women, but that's just a more fun story. Nothing nefarious about it, you know, no, no burial grounds or murders or anything like that. But growing up, when my brother was young, he had just started talking. He used to tell these 
really detailed stories of how he lived in the house with his family and his past life as a railroad conductor. And we later found out the person who built the house was a railroad conductor. And I think it was his great-grandson lived down the street from us. So we actually ended up getting a lot of information from him. And the details in my brother's stories were scarily accurate. I don't know why, but I always had this fear of the front part of our first floor. Like, as a kid, I would not go down there at all. It just, it scared the heck out of me. So, you know, nothing really uh, notable ever happened. Uh, people always used to joke that it was a haunted house because it's a big old house. I've actually, I emailed you a picture of it when it was first built. But anyways, on to the haunted band practice. So this happened, it was the night of my brother's graduation and my parents were volunteering there. So they were out till three or four in the morning. And it would have been 2005. One of the guys in the band, he hated sleeping over at my place. He'd been been there overnight three times and every morning he just wake up super agitated and the last time he slept over he said he woke up in the middle of the night everything started to go black and the room just kind of shifted like 180 degrees and yeah so woke up just incredibly agitated refused to sleep over after that ever again but anyways the night of the band practice so we we get there and we plugged in our mic into just like an old keyboard amp turned it on and it's started screaming and I've been around musical equipment my whole life this wasn't you know the typical feedback there was something just bone chilling about it but we carried on we jammed you know played our first four bars of under the hills over and over again and as we finished this feedback started again so we turned off the amp and instead of shutting off it did this kind of like fade out weird sound so you know a little freaked out we all went upstairs and sat around had a drink and as we're getting up to go back downstairs, one of the guys feels somebody tugging on his shirt. So, you know, a little more freaked out. We go downstairs, all the lights had been turned on, and there was this old tape recorder that we had that we were... Turns out it doesn't work, which is too bad because we couldn't listen for EVPs or anything, but the tape deck on it was sitting open, and all the lights were on. Now, we couldn't remember if we'd turned the lights off, but the lights were on on, like, the far side of the basement, my dad's workshop, which there was no reason for us to turn those on. So, again little bit freaked out so we all ran outside we're standing around in the backyard and two of us saw a shadow figure standing in the window and at this point you know there's three 16 year old guys trying to scare each other a little bit so we just ran off we went to the park but if anybody's been to manitoba on a hot manitoba night the mosquitoes are horrible so we couldn't stay there long Uh, and we went back decided we were going to pack up and go to one of friend's girlfriend's house so when we get back, the lights are on and the tape is sitting in the middle of the couch, other side of the room from the tape deck. None of us had touched it when we left. So we're packing up as fast as we can. And we notice one of the guitars is leaning up against the couch and it starts sliding kind of sideways, almost like somebody was pushing it over to the side. Not like it was just gravity pulling it down. It was going horizontally along the couch. So grabbed all our stuff, ran out of there, and went over to the friend's girlfriend's place. And so, of course, she and our other friends who were there, they're all excited. They want to see They want to see a ghost. So we go back. You know, nothing weird's really happening. And they're telling us, ah, oh, you, you guys are full of it. You know, you're just imagining things. So we go to leave. We're walking down the sidewalk between my house and the neighbor's house, which are both three-story houses. They're really tall. And it sounds like like gravel or hail or something. It's a clear night. And we realize that there's little rocks falling down from the roof. So I think at this point, everyone else uh, who hadn't been there originally, they believed us at that point. We all ran off, you know, scared, giggling and whatever. And 
I refused to stay home that night. We ended up staying at the friend's girlfriend's place and staying up all night listening to Van Halen. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my story of the, the haunted house I grew up in, quote-unquote, uh, band practice. Enjoy the podcast and hope you can use it. Thanks. Thank you, Jeremy. I sure do enjoy a good past life story, especially when all those pieces seem to align. The railroad conductor detail is pretty cool. And what are the chances that something like that could just happen, coincidentally? Almost makes more sense to think it's supernatural. And it was too bad that the tape deck wasn't working. Because I too wonder what sounds, if any, might have been captured. And of course, the contact made by the ghost or spirit, whatever it was, as we've discussed previously, is rare. But it does get reported from time to time, as unsettling as that notion may be. Thank you again, Jeremy, for sharing that story. Now, folks, if you too have a story you'd like me to share here on the program, a true story, call our hotline at 888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-NIGHT. Or record your story as a voice memo and email the file to me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now, speaking of a ghost's icy touch. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the physical harm some spirits have supposedly inflicted. Pinches, grabs, bruises, welts, and even scratches have all been reported. And as far as the ghostly contact reported in Jeremy's story, uh, played previously, I would say that was light compared to some. No actual harm was inflicted. But Nico, here in California, I'm afraid his experience wasn't quite as benign. Hi, this is Nico from California, Southern California. This happened at Lakewood somewhere around the beginning of fall of last year. I'm a member of a group. It's a private paranormal investigation group, so we don't actually believe in it. We're trying to debunk stuff. So we were invited to this house that claimed to have a sighting or they feel a presence. So we went there and two of my buddies came over there earlier than I did. So the moment I stepped out of my car, my friend came over and greeted me and I told him what's up with the right side of the house. He smirked and said, you'll find out. So once we stepped in, the family welcomed me and stated what is happening. They said that they have been feeling a presence and stuff will be mysteriously vanishing and appearing in place that they didn't put it into. So we started walking around. They led me to the master's bedroom, which is on the right side of the house. And it felt heavy. I mean, normally if you step into a house, you know that if, if the house is like warm and welcoming, that house felt cold, cold and uninviting. So we started asking questions, and one of my friends had a recorder so that we can record some of the uh, voices 
or an EVP that we will be getting from the room. So he started asking questions. The moment he asked, what is your name? All the three of us heard a growl. I mean, I know that they have a dog and the dog is outside of the house. And the growl was heard inside the room and it sounds demonic. I don't see a dog sounding like that. It's guttural, a guttural growl. And the moment that growl was heard, the dog from outside barked three times. So we looked at each other. We asked if anyone's hungry or is there a stomach rumbling? And then he kept on asking questions. If there's an entity around here, can you touch one of us? And I suddenly felt pain, pain on my left rib. And the moment that happened, one of our friends was holding an EMF meter and scanning the surrounding, nothing, 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 and goes on my left side, and it goes crazy. And then lifts it up, nothing, 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 and then goes back, and then there it goes again, it goes crazy. And so my friend asked him to let go of me, and the moment that he said that, the pain went away. And we started to pray and chant and burn some white sage, some frankincense, mare, and palo santo, and anointed the house with holy oil. And after that, we sealed the house and we cleansed it. Everyone went back in and it felt different. I've been practicing witchcraft for almost 15 years and I'm still in doubt of some entities if they're here or not, if they're really here to cause harm. My belief is that every soul has an end goal and that end goal is to be somewhere happier and uh, there will be peace. But I think sometimes some souls stay here for unfinished business or sometimes I can't say that they're demonic because the devil was created by religions and that will be my story. Thank you. Now when a self-proclaimed skeptic reports something like a disembodied growl, that ups the ante a bit. Thank you, Nico. And you know, I love the idea of an investigation group that's completely skeptical. Now, I know most groups try to be unbiased, but I think deep down, a good number of them want to believe. So this is sort of a new approach, and I dig it. Well, keep us posted should you stumble upon anything else, Nico. And thank you again for sharing your call. Now, if you're anything like Sarah and I, you get bored with the same old meal rotation when cooking at home. Green Chef helps us keep dinner interesting with 80-plus weekly menu options that not only taste great, but they keep us on track when it comes to reaching our health goals. Green Chef takes the work out of eating clean with chef-crafted, healthy recipes featuring organic ingredients. We especially love their seasonally-inspired recipes that celebrate the season's peak ingredients and flavors. Green Chef even has a new gut and brain health meal plan, specifically crafted to support the well-being of your gut and enhance cognitive health. It's about more than just satisfying hunger. It's about feeling good after every meal. Green Chef is offering Monsters Among Us listeners an awesome deal. Go to greenchef.com forward slash 60monsters and use code 60monsters to get 60% off 
plus 20% off your next two months. Again, that's greenchef.com forward slash six zero monsters and use code six zero monsters for 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now, back to that glowing orb in your driveway. Now, from time to time, this sort of thing happens. Where we can't quite catch a name that was left on a call. So instead of guessing and butchering someone's name, I'll just say welcome to this caller. All the way from Italy. Hi, Derek. My name is Verma, and I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois. And now I'm calling you from Texas. I'm visiting family here in Texas. I'm living in Italy, in Como. Well, this story that I'm going to tell you about is something that happened to me back in 1989 in Chicago. And it was one of my first job, my first real job, I guess. And I was going to work at a messenger service, okay? And it was on the south side of Chicago. And like I said, it was my first job. And I was there eager to do a good thing by making sure that I arrived early to the office. So I arrived early. It was around 7.30 a.m. And like I said, in 1989, I guess around April. And I was waiting by the reception area before the main doors to the office, a small mom and pop shop. It was not like a fancy place. It was a building that was, you know, just painted white on the outside, just regular brick and mortar, nothing special about it, south side of Chicago, uh, 16th and Ashland. Anyways, I'm sitting there. The reception person was there already, but the main doors to the long corridor were closed still. They were glass doors. So I just sat there until they would open them. Well, I was looking down the corridor through the glass doors, and I saw walking towards me a headless kind of see-through torso. I could tell it was walking by the way of the gate of the figure, which was see-through, sort of cloudy looking, without any legs. It was walking my way. I did the typical thing where, you know, you look away and then you look back to see if it's really what you're seeing. And that's what I did. And I just was looking in disbelief as this figure without a head, no legs, just clear, cloudy torso, walked past through the double doors. It was about five, six feet away from me and crossed the double doors and it just disappeared. So I didn't say anything because, like I said, it was my first real job. I didn't want to, you know, be labeled as the crazy person. So it wasn't until, I guess, six months later when I began to know people a little better and understand uh, that uh, also because I was working in their um, main office, like the HR area, I would hear how people would leave the third shift because there was a first shift, second shift, and third shift, which was in the late midnight hours, late early hours those spooky time hours. Those people would leave. Their turnaround was a lot. So what happened was, as I started to understand that these third shift would leave, I you know, was hearing people talking, would hear people talking, and they would say how it smelled funky in the file rooms, and no one wanted to go into the file rooms. And I was talking to the reception person that I was there that day that I had seen six months earlier, that spooky figure. She mentioned that the place used to be a morgue, 
and these people would hear noises. The third shift would hear noise, uh, noises in the early hours and get creeped out and leave. Turns out also that one day I had gone into, I would be sent to the file room. I went in there and it did smell funny. And the files were kept in the long cabinets that were just repurposed to make them file cabinets. But I believe that's where the bodies were held because I also saw like tables and what do you call sewers, sinks, water thingies where the water on the floor. So I guess if things would splash in this way, it would be cleaned up. And the funny smell turns out to be, I guess, like a formaldehyde kind of a smell. That's what I saw. I know that other people have called and said they have seen uh, torsos, you know, see-through, sort of cloudy looking. That's exactly how I've seen it. And no legs. I don't know what the common denominator or the common thing is why ghosts or phantoms have no legs. What is a residual? Was it a residual memory? I don't know. But it didn't seem to notice that I was looking at it. But let me know what you think. Thank you, Derek. I know that my sister, Gladys, turned me on to Monsters Among Us, and I'm binge uh, listening to it right now. But keep up the good work. Keep it spooky. Keep doing a great job. We love the podcast. Bye-bye. Thank you, caller. That's your classic floating, full-torso, vaporous apparition. Of course, first brought to our attention by the documentary film, Ghostbusters. A kid, but that's exactly what it sounds like. And as our caller had mentioned, heard about before. She's correct in saying that over the years we've had a number of ghostly encounters that only seem to feature a portion of the human physique. And he thinks this won't be the last time either. And how about the connection to the old funeral home? I've heard some horror stories from folks that have tried to repurpose those buildings. So this comes to me as no surprise. It's no wonder that those buildings often sell for cheap. Well, thank you again, caller. We really appreciate you taking the time to share your encounter. And safe travels back home. Now, folks, don't forget to visit our merchandise shop over at MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and by clicking on the shop tab, we have a plethora of Monsters Among Us themed gear that makes the perfect gift for that weirdo in your life or becomes a nice little treat for yourself. And best of all, each purchase goes a long way to help support the show. And if you purchase a poster, a portion of those proceeds are donated to the Navajo Water Project a non-profit organization that aims to bring running water to those that do not have it, beginning with our friends at the Navajo Nation. So support good causes, wear great gear, and look good doing it. MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and smash that shop tab. Now then, this next entry is difficult to categorize. You're about to see what I mean when I share Guinevere's call from North Carolina. Hey there, this is Guinevere from Asheville, North Carolina. Although what I'd like to say is not from Asheville. For a time I lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I decided to go to the Renaissance Festival in Arizona. I think it was Phoenix. So I was driving through Flagstaff to get down to, I think it was Phoenix. 
I had passed Flagstaff, and I don't know what major highway that is that goes down there, but that's what I was on, and there was just nothing around. Structurally, there were some cars on the road with me, and we were all flying. And I'm just kind of zoned out looking at the road, and I notice these three black things maybe 20 feet off the side of the road to my left. And I didn't really think about it consciously. I mean, I guess I didn't initially. And then as I got up closer to them, I realized, well, it was so fast, I wasn't thinking, I was just observing. And now that I think back about it, what I observed was three shapes that were flat black or like a matte black and they were in the shapes of uh, maybe an aircraft but really small it looked like there could either be an engine in there or a person it didn't look you know maybe it was as big as a go-kart kind of thing and this was in 2000 by the way so I don't know what kind of technology I, I have no idea but they were still, by the way, they were completely still just sitting or hovering there. They were maybe 15 feet off the ground, just hovering there completely still. And, you know, I'm flying on the road. I have no idea what I was driving, but it was fast. And I just drove by it. And and I'm continuing to go on I'm starting to think wow that was that was either you know that's either big enough for a person or you know mechanical stuff and then I see in my rearview mirror one slowly super slowly crosses the road behind all these cars or maybe a handful of cars and there's a, a part of me that was like ooh I should stop I didn't have a cell phone back then, but I thought, ooh, I should stop and just, you know, get out because that's something I've never seen before. And who knows what happens here in the Southwest? I'm from the East, so, you know, this is something totally new for me. But but we were all flying and there was a car behind me and I was like, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just keep that as a memory. But as I think more and more about it, I really wish I, I think, I think I wish... I had stopped. I have no idea where it went. I just saw it really super slow, like walking pace, hover across the road, just one of them behind all of the cars. And then once it went out of view, I was afraid because I was so distracted by these things. I was, I didn't want to wreck. I didn't want to wreck into anyone. And, and you know, I was going really fast. So I just kept on going. But I was just listening to season 14, episode one, and somebody mentioned something like that. And I'm really curious about what that could have been. And I don't know if you know that could have been some kind of drone. It was shaped in a way that it was almost like a jet fighter <laughs> you know that kind of shape that seems like it was made for a person to sit in but again no windows no it was just a flat black I could only see kind of this silhouette shape 
but it was definitely three-dimensional. I just don't know what to, I don't know what to think about that. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Thank you so much. I love the show. Bye-bye. Thank you, Guinevere. This is one of those rare occasions where I might have solved one of these mysterious encounters. And this one might have less than a paranormal explanation. You see the description of the object, craft, or vehicle, whatever you want to call it, that Guinevere gave is the dead giveaway. What I believe she saw that day some 24 years ago was a remote-controlled aircraft. There are designated airports for hobbyists that enjoy building and flying remotely controlled aircraft all throughout the country. These quote-unquote airports are usually little more than a stone or concrete runway and maybe a dugout-style structure to keep the pilot sheltered from the elements. They're pretty inconspicuous. In fact, you might drive right by one and never even notice. And yeah, those little planes zipping around, they look off at first. The size really throws you. But given enough time, one could put it all together. But if you're barreling down a highway and you just catch a glimpse of one of these things out of the corner of your eye, I could see how it would send a driver into a panic. And you know, to back up this claim, I had Delaney dig into the RC airplane scene there in Flagstaff. And I wasn't surprised if she was able to find several bits of helpful information. For starters, the Arizona Model Pilot Society airstrip is a mere eight minutes from the highway I believe she would have been traveling down. And it's been in operation since 1980, so it would have been there in full swing back in 2000. In addition, there are several other RC airstrips there in that area. I've linked to a lot of this in the show notes if you need references. But the point here is that I can't help but think that that is what was seen that day. One or more of these remotely controlled aircraft, which come in a multitude of shapes, sizes, and colors. So mull that over, Guinevere, and let us know what you think of the theory. Could it be that simple? Or, since it seems to happen so often in the state of Arizona, is this another encounter with something otherworldly. Thank you again, Guinevere, for calling in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's about 10,000. Now I have a couple more fright-filled fables to share with you here tonight. Beginning with another story involving an apparition. This time, from Brittany in Connecticut. Hi there, my name is Brittany from southeastern Connecticut. 
I've been listening to this podcast for a couple months now and love it. Love creeping myself out. Anyways, I had just a short story I wanted to tell about a ghost sighting I saw in my apartment probably about three years ago, maybe two years ago. But I was um, laying in bed. Our bedroom was upstairs in our apartment. We had a TV. I like to watch TV before I go to bed. So I was laying in bed probably around 11 o'clock at night. And I'll never forget, I was watching Shrek, of all things. And just laying there, and all of a sudden, I just see an apparition in front of me. Now, my TV sits on my bureau. It's pretty high, average-sized bureau. And this entity being was, like, glowing. I could just see the side profile like a big man at the foot of my bed in front of my bureau where the TV is. And it walks what would be to my right, which is where my closet is. And it just starts walking and walks right through the, to the closet and just stops. So in my head for that split second, I thought it had to have been me just being tired, watching the TV. It might just be the lights hitting me in a weird way. But the thing that spooked me and made the hair stand up on my arms is that our closet is a motion sensor light. So this figure moves across my bureau to the closet and the light goes on. That's when the hair stood up on my arms, kind of freaked out a little bit and just didn't know what to do. I've never seen anything like that before. I believe in the spirit realm, I do meditation, Reiki, all that stuff, but I've never actually seen an entity, especially like that. So I put the covers over half of my face so I could still see my Shrek movie to calm me down and just kind of laid there awake until my husband came to bed. He laid down next to me and I didn't dare tell him what I saw because I didn't know if it was still in our closet or what it was. Told him about it the next day and we went and got a dream catcher and some sage. Just It didn't feel like an evil entity, but it still freaked me out that it was just full figure walking into our closet. Yeah, that's my story. Hope you enjoyed. Hope I hear it on the podcast and I can't wait to hear everyone else's stories. Thank you. Thank you, Brittany. Now, after nearly eight years of doing this program, it takes a lot to spook me. And I'm not going to lie. When Brittany said the entity triggered the motion light in her closet, that made the hair on my arms stand up. And I'm not sure if it was the validation or the fact that whatever it was interacted with our plane of existence, but that sent a chill down my spine. It certainly was a spooky detail. And you know, speaking of spooky bedroom encounters, on last week's Beyond episode, I shared a call from Michaela in Wisconsin in which she described a nightmare scenario involving strange cat-like figures that moved around her bed. Well, that call got a ton of buzz in the comment section. So if you haven't heard it yet, go sign up for a free Patreon trial today and tune in. I'll be discussing the call a bit on tonight's Beyond since so many of you requested I comment. So tune in for that, and thank you again, Brittany, for sharing your entry. Now then, this final entry covers what I often admit is my favorite cryptid. After you hear T's entry, I think you'll understand why. Hi, Derek. Just call me T, I guess. This 
was a story that was told to me. Um, I was doing a ride along in a squad car. A friend of mine was a police officer. And we were doing midnights when this happened. And his partner's name was Mike. And Mike had been in the car with us. And, and my buddy said, hey, you need to tell to you your story about what happened to you when you were in high school. And Mike and some friends went uh, driving. This was in Kansas where this happened. <clears throat> he didn't say where in Kansas. I can't remember if he did. But they were uh, a bunch of kids that fit in there. A car, they're all messing around late on a Friday night, and they said, Hey, let's go out to the spooky old house outside town. So they drove out there and hopped out of the car, and there's a uh, road that goes into this old house, but it had been washed out by rain, so it was kind of a gully or a ditch you had to walk down and back up. Well, right before the gully, as they're walking into where this house is, there was a dead German shepherd, pure white dead German shepherd there on the ground prior to the gully, and they all thought that was kind of bizarre. You know, everybody starts making spooky, scary sounds and stories about it. But they continued on, went through the gully, back up the other side, and then on the driveway to the house. And it was an old house, something you would see, a, you know, a settler house back in the early days of Kansas, because the foundation of the house was stone and rock put together. So they go into the house, and there's a lower level, and the house had a uh, running water cell for putting you know, canned goods and whatnot, keeping it cool. And that was out behind the house. So they made their way through the house down to the lower level, which you can look out the windows. And he said that they they were looking at the back of the windows of the old house, which the windows were blown out. It was just a wood frame. And scanning with their flashlights out there, and there was tall reeds, you know, eight to ten foot tall reeds out there. No, it hadn't been mowed in a long, long time by that old still house that was out there for the storage. And he says, we're scanning our flashlights across. We come upon something that's between seven and eight foot tall. It's a wolf's head that had been looking at them through the reeds. And the reeds had been parted by whatever it was, its hands. So the hand then reached through the reeds, pulled them apart. And he said, we could see the head, the chest. It was all, he said, it looked like a wolf standing up that was enormous. They said, but what really freaked him out the most was, it was a chilly evening, it was in the fall. And he said, you could see the breath coming out of the nostrils of this creature. And he said, that's all it took for us when this thing exhaled and we saw this puff of breath come out of its nostrils. So we all immediately turned and ran back out of the house, down the driveway, through the gully. When they got out of the gully, the German shepherd carcass was gone. I don't know if it had been picked up by something else or what. That didn't stop any of them, but they all ran straight to the car and peeled out and went back into town. So it was an interesting encounter with what would be like, I guess, a wolf man or dog man. But he said it was between seven and eight foot tall. Great story to hear him tell, but I wish I knew what town that was in Kansas, but nonetheless. Just another one to add to your group of podcasts if you want to. Uh, love listening to them. Keep up the good work. Thank you, T. A real-life werewolf. What would be better than that? Well, I suppose unless you're being slaughtered by one or something. But I grew up with those cheesy 80 horror movies. The werewolf movies, especially. The Howling and its many sequels. Stephen King's Silver Bullet. An American werewolf in London. I suppose, to a certain extent, Teen Wolf. The point is, I love a good werewolf story. 
and if that story helps question my doubt in their existence. Well, it's even better. And that's exactly what T's story did. It made a creature of fantasy, a possible creature of reality, or at least helped chisel away at a mountain of skepticism. If Mike, the police officer's story, is true, something just might be out there. So naturally, I did some digging on the Dogman, the Wolfman mythos in the Sunflower State. And sadly, I didn't find that many reports. But the few that I did find are worthy of discussion. The following were all pulled from the Dogman Encounters podcast website, but I saw them listed in several other locations. You can read each full report by visiting our show notes at monstersamonguspodcast.com and by clicking on the show notes tab. Now I've pulled the actual description from each encounter, so you can hear a portion of each of these reports. See if any of these points match up for you. Osage County, Kansas. It was a gray figure with a short, sleek coat. I did not see a tail on this creature. It was on all fours and was the same height as a deer. His head was very odd. It looked like a dog head with cropped, pointed ears, but had a very short muzzle. He briefly turned his head toward me when he crossed, and his eyes... I wouldn't say they glowed, but they weren't normal animal eyes. They were dull yellow, and they definitely stood out. His body was what really confused me, because the way it moved was like a human would move when trying to run on all fours. Its gait looked lazy, like it was just kind of loping across the road. It was very muscular on the front end, but had a very thin, almost sickly-looking abdominal area and hind legs. Once he was across the road, I lost sight of him over the embankment. Hamilton County, Kansas. Nearby was a large patch of overgrown weeds, almost as tall as six feet in some places. I hated playing at the playset, because sometimes, around sunset, I'd see red eyes within the weed patch. I told my grandparents, but they dismissed it as coyotes. However, one day I wanted answers and I approached the weeds. Upon closer inspection, I saw a creature that looked similar to a dog, with shaggy white fur. I remember what I thought was its front paws, looked like that of a gorilla's. The creature moved away from me, and I never saw it in that weed patch again. Jackson County, Kansas I had barely taken a few steps when I heard a low, snarling growl that sounded like a wolf, although it seemed distorted, as if it were being played on an old radio. Against my better judgment, I turned my head around and I saw what looked like the biggest freaking wolf I'd ever seen. It was on all fours. Its fur was black and matted in places. Its face was what you'd expect a wolf to look like, although it was broad and the muzzles seemed a little short. Although the way it was curling its lips made it look as if its snout was plenty long, and its eyes were yellow, not a bright yellow, like the yellow of a flower or the sun, but a dim amber-red-yellow, if that makes sense. Its ears looked like that of a Doberman pincher, with the cropped effect. Its front legs were long, and it looked as if it were a bodybuilder. Its quote-unquote paws, if you can even call them paws, looked like huge hands with long claws at the end of them. It stood up, and I heard the most sickening popping sounds you could ever imagine, 
It sounded like the sound of popping joints, but it seemed amplified, as if it were being played through a microphone, and the sound was coming out of loudspeakers. Its body looked like a bodybuilder's pumped up on steroids. It was so big, it had no tail that I could tell, and it seemed to tower over me. Another Jackson County, Kansas encounter. I was frozen by what I saw. It was a huge, huge wolf that was looking at me with dirty, ambery yellow eyes. Its ears looked like they were torn or cropped or something, and the face looked sort of human-like. Not really a full human face, but more like the jawline looked very masculine and human compared to the rest of its face. Its lips were curled back and it seemed as if it were snarling, though I couldn't hear it if it was. And its breath caught on a cold glass. It was so tall that the top of its head was halfway up the window. Now there are just too many similarities here for this just to be a coincidence. This essentially has to be an organized hoax. One person wrote and submitted several of these reports. Or, this is a genuine creature, and these strikingly similar reports reflect that fact. They described it the same because they all saw the same thing. Now I'll let you judge which of these two scenarios is at play here. But remember Mike the Cop's story because a lot of his details matched up as well. So maybe there is something out there roaming the plains of Kansas, like something straight out of an 80s horror film. Many thanks, T, for preserving that story. We certainly appreciate you calling in. And folks, that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Copyright Red Crow Media. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Keep the party going by following us on social media. While you're at it, give us a like, follow, and a comment over at YouTube. And since you're online, a rate and review goes a long, long way to help the show grow. Catch the show every Saturday at 11 p.m. Eastern on the UnX Network Digital Radio. And finally, tonight's score was provided by Co.AG Music, Armchair Ambiance, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. And folks, I'll catch you back here next week. Don't forget to hang around for more free Monsters Among Us after the final ad. And that's also where you can learn more about our Patreon. I'll see you all over there. But for the rest of you, have a good night. Tonight's secret entry is the type that really freaks me out. Now, I won't spoil anything, 
but brace yourself because Debbie's entry is chilling. Hi, Derek. This is Debbie from southeastern Illinois again. I'm listening to the podcast, season 11, episode 13 with Josh, where he was talking about the little voice in his head warning him about not going to the median. I have had that little voice. My daughter was about two years old. My husband was at work. So she and I were looking at houses to rent. We circled a bunch of homes in the newspaper, and this was in St. Petersburg, Florida, like I said, about 30 years ago. And we got to this one house, and it was a nice little house. It was in a kind of sketchy neighborhood, but not real bad. The realtor is supposed to be there all day. We go up to the house, don't see anybody. We knock, we look around outside, and we go inside. And, you know, it's an older home. It was fine. You know, we checked out the kitchen. We meandered over into the dining room. And as we're standing in the room, there's a little door off to our right, and it's closed. And I start to go over to it because check it out of the house. And something in my head was like, don't open this door. Run. Now, I tend to listen to these little voices in my head. So I grabbed up my daughter and just ran out the door, jumped in the car, and we left. Come to find out later, and I really wish I had more information to give you the exact date and everything, but the realtor had been murdered, and the killer was apparently in that room because they found him not too long after somebody else had come in, and they caught him. But that little voice probably saved their lives, and I recommend everybody listen to the little voices in their head. All right, well, um, I'll call back. Bye. The worst kind of monster. Humans. Just think of that. A split second from opening a door, exposing a killer, and likely meeting a dark end. But all avoided by gut instinct. Absolutely incredible. And not that her story needs it, but we took the liberty of digging up the news story related to Debbie's tale. Because, after all, if the story is true, at least parts of it have to be in the news. And sure enough, it was. And I've linked to it in the show notes. Now, to no one's surprise, there's no mention of Debbie's intuition in the article. But that's to be expected. I'm not sure I would have shared that information right away either. So it's amazing stuff, Debbie. And we thank you so much for sharing it with us. I don't get goosebumps all that often anymore. But this is the second time tonight I've had the experience. And speaking of experiences, you should join us beyond. It's the after show where we continue the stories. Sometimes we have guests. Sometimes we do a theme. It's the more laid-back version of the main show. And you can get access to it for only $5 a month simply by joining us on Patreon. Go to monstersamonguspodcast.com and click the Patreon tab to get started. And don't forget, a mere dollar a month gives you the main feed absolutely ad-free. 
and you can try it all out for free for seven days using Patreon's seven-day free trial. So what are you waiting for? You're missing out on calls like Lee's out of Pennsylvania. Hi, my name is Lee, and I'm originally from Lancaster, Pennsylvania area, but the story takes place in Washington, D.C., kind of in the outskirts. I can't quite remember. It happened a long time ago. But I was 